Our new book, The Art of Business Wars, features stories and lessons from history's greatest business rivalries, with powerful insights uncovered through hundreds of episodes of Business Wars. Go to Wondery.com forward slash The Art of Business Wars to order your copy now. A note to listeners, this episode includes explicit language. It's the year 2000, and in a lavishly decorated office on Seattle's waterfront, Bert Rutan looks up from his bowl of split pea soup to his lunch companion. Rutan's a renegade engineer with mutton-chopped sideburns. He's a long way from his base in California's Mojave Desert, where he creates experimental flying machines. And he's about to pitch his wildest idea yet to one of the richest men on Earth. That man is Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen. Though he left the company in 1982, he kept his shares. Now, he's a billionaire many times over. The pale-skinned tech tycoon smiles at Rutan and dabs soup from his lips with a napkin. The soup's delicious, but Bert, don't let it get cold. But Rutan's not interested in soup. His time with Allen is short and he's got one shot to sell his latest idea to the reclusive billionaire. Paul, remember when we first met in the Mojave? You said it would be really cool if there was a vehicle that could fly to space and land like a plane. Well, I know how to do it. I found a safer way for re-entry. Alan stopped spooning soup into his mouth. Really? How? You know how spacecraft have to maintain the correct angle when re-entering the atmosphere? Get it wrong, they break apart, right? But I thought, what if you had a rocket plane? You know, a plane only powered by a rocket engine instead of a jet engine. And what if this rocket plane had wings, but on a hinge? A hinge? Yeah. When flying or landing, the wings would be positioned just like on a regular airplane, right? But on re-entry, they'd rise up and turn into big sails. The drag would rapidly slow the rocket plane and force its nose into the correct angle for re-entry. Alan's eyes widen. You mean like the way feathers make badminton shuttlecocks always go cork first? Alan played badminton a lot in his youth, so he grasps the concept quickly. Yes, yes, exactly. The wings would force the plane's nose into the correct position, and the pilot wouldn't have to do a thing. After re-entry, the wings would return to normal... And the pilot just lands on the runway. I'm sure it would work. And if I had the money, I'd fund it myself. How much do you need? At ten, possibly twenty million. But it'd be the first private spaceship. And we'd have a shot of winning the X Prize. That's worth ten million right there. It's a terrible business plan. Spend twenty million, maybe win ten million back. But for Alan... These sums are pocket change, and he's always wanted to make space history. Alan smiles and extends his hand across the table. But making spaceships isn't for the faint-hearted, and soon, Alan will be running toward the escape hatch. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, 
Get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana has unmistakably unique culture, world-class cuisine, and the nation's top-ranked workforce development program. This incredible state's business environment is powerful, rich, and diverse. It's the gateway to 38 states and the world with a port system delivering the most domestic cargo in the U.S. It's also where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will transport the first women to the moon. Discover Louisiana's investment resources at OpportunityLouisiana.com to learn how your company can gain a competitive advantage in Louisiana. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, a helicopter crash almost ended Jeff Bezos's Star Trek, and Elon Musk set his sights on Mars with SpaceX. Now, Bezos, Musk, and Paul Allen are out to build the first private spacecraft. But to do it, they'll need nerves of steel. This is Episode 2, Reaching for the Stars. It's a summer night in 2003. In Wisconsin, Elon Musk is in the parking lot of a factory that makes metal silos for storing milk for dairy farms. He scans the lot for signs of life, but the place is deserted. He frowns and stomps toward the entrance. Musk founded SpaceX 18 months ago, and things are already way off course. Musk wanted his Falcon 1 rocket to fly in the spring, but spring's come and gone, and the Falcon 1's far from finished. SpaceX engineers pull 80-hour weeks, only to slip ever further behind schedule. And most exasperating, during tests, the rocket engines still explode. Musk's life is in tatters, too. In May, his newborn son died from sudden infant death syndrome. Now, his marriage is disintegrating. So he's throwing himself into his star quest and seeking solace in work. He wants to destroy every bottleneck screwing up his schedule. And that mission starts here. Musk bursts into the factory, startling the receptionist. I'm Elon Musk of SpaceX. Get me the manager. The receptionist complies. Musk doesn't really have to announce himself. Everyone here knows who he is and what he does. It's not often a dairy silo manufacturer gets asked to build fuel tanks for a space rocket. But Musk turned to this company for a reason. There isn't that much difference between making spaceship fuel tanks and metal farm silos. The biggest is that aerospace specialists charge more. Much, much more. The night manager arrives at the reception. Mr. Musk, pleasure to see you. We didn't know you were in town. That's because I didn't tell you. My fuel tanks are late, so I flew here expecting to see you working around the clock to get them finished. 
Is it everyone's break time or something? Where are my fuel tanks? Oh, well, Mr. Musk, it's, um... Musk interrupts. The way I see it is this. You're f***ing us up the and it doesn't feel good. The manager steps back in shock. He doesn't have a clue how to handle this snarling millionaire customer. But he won't have to worry about it for long. A few days later, Musk fires the company. Musk is fast reaching the conclusion that the best way to reliably build a low-cost rocket is to do as much of the work in-house as possible. That lets the company innovate along the way. They even make breakthroughs in metal cutting and welding that drastically reduce costs. It's an approach that runs counter to the one used by space industry giants Boeing and Lockheed Martin, who rely on hundreds of external suppliers. But every new task requires SpaceX to master a new skill set, and that means more upfront investment and even more delays. SpaceX is burning through Musk's millions fast. So when a friend offers to arrange a dinner date with another space-obsessed tech tycoon, Musk senses an opportunity for an alliance. It's fall 2003, and in a five-star San Francisco restaurant, Elon Musk listens intently as Jeff Bezos gives the lowdown about his secretive space venture, Blue Origin. We've done a lot of exploratory work, and we're sure now that chemical propulsion is not just a good way to reach space, but an awesome way. Musk can't believe his ears. Hold up, hold up. You've been trying to get to space without rocket fuel? Yeah, we were brainstorming some wild ideas. We even looked into flinging spaceships into orbit using a giant bullwhip. But the whip would be so big you'd need a freight train to crack it. (laughs) Next, you're going to tell me you're considering firing rockets out of giant cannons. (laughs) We did. (laughs) We we actually did that. (laughs) Jeff, you should have called me two years ago. I'd have told you you were wasting your time. Bezos's smile evaporates. It's not time wasted. Being open-minded is important. The Blue Origin motto is gradatum ferociter, step-by-step ferociously. Musk shakes his head. Jeff, space is a matter of urgency. Ensuring humanity's survival means colonizing Mars as soon as possible. Bezos sits back. Mars? I'm not doing this to put people on Mars. Then why are you doing this? For energy. Humanity's energy use is compounding at a few percent a year. If that goes on for another 200 years, we'd have to cover the entire planet with solar cells. We could cap energy use, but that means civilization in stasis. And I don't want my great-great-great-grandchildren to live in a world of stasis. Musk folds his arms. So, what's the answer then? We move all heavy industry into the solar system, where resources are practically unlimited. Then, we zone Earth as residential and light industry. We've sent probes to every planet in this solar system, and Earth is clearly the best and most beautiful. Mars isn't even close. And neither are Bezos and Musk. For Musk, Bezos is an Earth-centric tortoise. And for Bezos... Musk is a hare rushing toward a barren planet. Their dinner ends politely. But it's clear these two space tycoons 
don't have matching visions of the future. It's December 2003, and high above the Mojave Desert, a huge airplane buzzes through the cloudless skies. This enormous airplane is dubbed the White Knight. It's a mothership, and there's a rocket plane clamped to its belly. The rocket plane is called Spaceship One, and it's the result of the alliance between renegade aviation genius Bert Rutan and Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen. In Spaceship One's cockpit, the test pilot checks the altitude reading and radios ground control. Go for release. White Knight releases Spaceship One. The dart-like rocket plane falls fast. Then, the pilot hits the ignition. Spaceship One's rocket engine flames into life. The rocket plane shoots forward, pinning the pilot back in his seat. Spaceship One first rattles and shakes, and then groans as it tears through the air faster and faster and faster until it smashes through the sound barrier. As the sonic boom echoes across the Mojave, the pilot checks the speedometer. 913 miles per hour. He's zipping through the skies at 1.2 times the speed of sound. He smiles and cuts the engine. Spaceship One's first powered flight is complete, and it's a thundering success. Next stop, space. The pilot radios ground control. That was a pretty wild ride. In the control room, Rutan is pumped and smiling. Superb job, super job bringing her home. Rutan turns to Alan, who flew in especially for this crucial test flight. Come on, let's go watch it land. Rutan and Alan leave the control room and head for the runway. They stand in the oppressive desert heat and watch the skies. In the distance, they see Spaceship One descending from the heavens towards them. But as it draws closer, they notice it's wobbling. Alan gulps. The spaceship's coming in low and fast. Spaceship One slams onto the runway and the landing gear buckles. Alan clasps his hands over his mouth in horror as the rocket plane skids along the asphalt, sending sparks flying. The spacecraft spins off the runway and into the parched rocky desert, kicking up a huge dust cloud that shrouds it from view. Rutan and the first responders race into the dust cloud. Alan just stands, frozen to the spot. He feels unsteady on his legs. Then, two figures emerge from the dust cloud. It's Rutan and the pilot. They're walking side by side and chatting excitedly. But Alan knows this could have ended with a pilot in a body bag. And he can't handle that. He's used to software. And in software, crashes aren't matters of life and death. Alan doesn't have the stomach for this. He wants out. But he doesn't want to leave Rutan in the lurch. He feels he has no choice but to see this through. If only there were some mega-rich adrenaline junkie who'd take this spaceship off his hands. Spring 2004, NASA headquarters, Washington, D.C. 
Elon Musk scowls at the officials sitting around the meeting room table. What you're doing is anti-competitive and un-American. One NASA official tries to reason with the SpaceX founder. Look, NASA remains open to working with SpaceX. More contracts are coming. Don't stress about our contract with Kistler. Kistler is a bankrupt rocket maker run by former NASA staffers. Last month, it was on the verge of collapse. Then, NASA threw it a lifeline, a contract worth more than $200 million. And that makes Musk livid. It's not NASA's job to save failed companies run by their friends. If SpaceX doesn't get to bid for that work, I'm suing. Panic flashes across the face of the blonde woman next to Musk. She's Gwen Shotwell, and her job is to win contracts for SpaceX. She looks at the NASA team. Hey, uh, can you give us five? Sure, we'll get coffee. Shotwell watches as the NASA officials leave and close the door behind them. Then she spins around to Musk. Elon, are you sure you want to sue NASA? That deal is messed up. There should be a level playing field. (sighs) Okay, but NASA's our only potential customer. The only one. Suing people doesn't usually turn them into customers. Gwen, it's a matter of principle. That deal stinks. If NASA is going to be offended by me fighting for what's right, then to hell with them. Soon after, SpaceX declares war on NASA. It lobbies regulators and slams the Kistler deal in the press. Musk also uses his appearance at a Senate committee hearing to push the issue up the political agenda. And it works. In June 2004, the Government Accountability Office steps in and orders NASA to re-tender the contract. For Musk, it's a victory. But it's a win that's also cost him plenty of friends inside NASA. And while he's been busy dueling on Capitol Hill, Bert Rutan's been preparing Spaceship One to make history. The moment of truth has arrived. It's time for Spaceship One to boldly go where no private company has gone before. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov.
It's June 2004, and in the Mojave, Paul Allen watches as the final pre-flight checks are made on Spaceship One. Very soon, his rocket plane will head to the heavens for its first trip to space. Nearby, Allen sees the pilot hugging his wife. She holds him tight. Promise you'll come home to me. Allen looks away. He doesn't want to think about looking into her eyes if her husband dies today. Suddenly, Allen feels a hearty slap on his back. He turns to see the bright white grin of Richard Branson, the British billionaire behind the Virgin Group of Companies. Isn't this exciting, Paul? You're about to make history. What a magical day. With his wavy blonde mane and leathery tan, the dashing Brit is the antithesis of the dowdy and pasty Allen. But now they're partners. Branson's Virgin Atlantic Airline had been working with Rutan on a plane that could fly around the world nonstop. But then one Virgin executive visiting Rutan's Mojave base wandered into the wrong hangar and discovered the spaceship. Within 24 hours, Branson was in the Mojave begging Rutan to let him in on the action. Turns out that Branson has always wanted to launch a space tourism business. Years ago, he even trademarked the name Virgin Galactic. So now, Virgin is sponsoring Spaceship One's bid to win the X Prize. But all Alan wants is for everyone to get through today alive so he can wash his hands of this space folly. An hour later, high above the Mojave, Spaceship One drops from the mothership. The engine fires, and Spaceship One surges forward and bursts through the sound barrier. The pilot pulls the joystick back, pointing the nose to space. On the ground below, the pilot's wife watches through binoculars. Go, baby, go! But in the cockpit, the pilot is fighting high winds. Spaceship One rolls 90 degrees to the right, then immediately barrels 180 degrees to the left. The pilot hears loud bangs behind him. It sounds like something's breaking off. A split second later, Spaceship One clears the atmosphere and enters suborbital space. The pilot sees the black void of space stretching before him, the curve of the Earth and the haze of atmosphere around it. He radios ground control. Whoa, you would not believe the view. Holy mackerel. In the control room, Paul Allen and Spaceship One designer Bert Rutan hug in celebration. But then, one of the team kills the mood. We got a problem. Trim flap malfunction. The room goes silent. The trim flap is vital for stable re-entry. If it doesn't work, Spaceship One will spin out of control. In sub-orbit, the pilot desperately fiddles with the trim flap controls. Come on, come on. Work, damn it. Time is short. Gravity will soon drag Spaceship One back to Earth, whether he's ready or not. He tries adjusting the trim flap again, and to his relief, it comes back to life. Back in action. The wings rise up and Spaceship One falls smoothly back to Earth like a badminton shuttlecock before the pilot retakes control and makes a perfect landing. The pilot exits the cockpit and his relieved wife runs over to him. As the reunited couple embrace, Branson 
turns to Alan. Amazing. The first ever commercial astronaut. What are you going to do with the spaceship after winning the X Prize? Put it in the Smithsonian, I think. What? No, no, that would be a terrible waste, Paul. Hundreds of thousands of people would love to go to space. This is the chance of a lifetime. Of many lifetimes. If you don't want to go further, at least license me the technology so I can make space tourism a reality. Alan pauses. He doesn't have the stomach for the risks involved in sending people to space. But Branson's right. It'd be shameful to give up now. Okay, let's make a deal. In September 2004, Spaceship One wins the X Prize. Soon after, Virgin buys the rights from Allen in a $25 million deal. Virgin Galactic has entered the private space race. And for the moment, it's the only company with an actual spaceship. It's March 2005 on the rocky shore of Moses Lake in Washington State. Blue Origin engineers scuttle around a metal contraption the size of a bulldozer. This machine is Karen. It's named after one of Pluto's moons, and it's Blue Origin's first ready-to-fly vehicle. Karen squats on its metal legs like an oversized drone. On each side of its steel frame are four vertically mounted Rolls-Royce Viper jet engines. These engines date back to the 50s. Blue Origin bought them secondhand from the South African Air Force. The engineers finish their preparations and retreat behind their makeshift cordon. Then they remotely activate Karen and cross their fingers. Karen is an autonomous vehicle. All the engineers can do now is watch and hope. The Viper engines scream into life and kick up a murky cloud of dirt. Karen rises slow and steady into the air. It rises above the dust cloud and toward the overcast skies. And then it stops. Karen hangs in midair, hovering at 316 feet, slightly higher than the Statue of Liberty. Then Karen adjusts its engines and starts to descend. The engineers hold their breath as Karen gently touches down and cuts the engines. The team goes wild. It's a small step and space remains far out of reach, but it's confirmation that Blue Origin's technology for safely landing autonomous space rockets is on the right track. But while Blue Origin celebrates and Virgin Galactic prepares to book passengers on space flights, SpaceX's Falcon 1 rocket remains Earthbound. Elon Musk's rocket is two years behind schedule and burning through his millions. If he can't achieve liftoff soon, he'll soon be joining the ranks of other failed space tycoons. On the next episode, Boeing and Lockheed Martin unite against the space upstarts, Blue Origin goes headhunting, and Elon Musk watches his fortune go up in flames. From Wondery, this is episode two of SpaceX versus Blue Origin for Business Wars. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review. And be sure to tell your friends. 
Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. And to listen to episodes one week early, join Wondery Plus. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey. And tell us which business stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. If you'd like to learn more about Spaceship One and the X Prize, check out the book How to Make a Spaceship by Julian Guthrie. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Kate Young is our associate producer. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Looking for the hottest takes and the spiciest celebrity gossip? Look no further. Welcome to Rich and Daily, the all-new podcast from Wondery that's going to bring you up to speed on all of Hollywood's most current secrets and scandals. Need to know what Harry and Meghan are up to? What's the latest in Britney's conservatorship hearing? We've got you covered. I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams, and along with my bestie and fellow celeb news fanatic, Brooke Sifrin, we're bringing you the latest entertainment gossip every Monday through Friday. Is that rumor you heard about Rihanna true? If it is, you better believe we'll have something to say about it. So if you want to be in the know about who's been seen with whom and who's in and who's out, Join us on Rich and Daily, because we don't just listen to the rumor mill. We give you the celebrity facts as they happen. Listen to Rich and Daily on Amazon Music, or you can listen to episodes ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. With Rich and Daily, feel the gossip. Wondery, feel the story.